Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Talking Bay 94, the Star Wars podcast devoted to interviews with the cast, crew, and creators of a galaxy far, far away. I'm your host, Brandon Winerdy, and today I'm talking to Dave Barkley, original trilogy sculptor and puppeteer for both Yoda and Jabba the Hutt. We dive deep into his incredible filmography, including Empire, Jedi, Dark Crystal, and Labyrinth. This is Talking Bay 94, Episode 16, Dave Barkley. Mr. Philpot, Toby Philpot, and so he told some great stories, and so I love Java especially, and so I'm very excited to kind of talk about all this with you. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was neat. It's uh, it's, it's, it's been qu- quite the journey for me, and it was because uh, I knew Toby from uh, Dark Crystal and knew his father before I knew Toby, because Toby's a second generation um, performer too, puppeteer. So his dad was a puppeteer, and so my my folks were, were puppeteers, and so they knew uh, Toby's father panto so and I, I i knew him quite well as a kid myself so it's a, it became a very small world <laughs> how did you kind of get that love of puppeteering your parents were both so this is second generation the family profession what inspired you to kind of take up that mantle interesting yes when when i sort of grew up um i think age four i was given a marionette string puppet as, as a, a birthday present mm-hmm. and um unlike most kids i didn't tangle it up I I started puppeteering with it, and the strings never got tangled. I was so small, I'd stand on the chair because the strings were too long. And this is a child's um, marionette, of course. So, so I seem to always have sort of um, a natural sort of uh, gravity towards puppets, um, maybe because I was exposed to them as a child, mm-hmm. um, and I, I'd perform in my parents' shows. Mm-hmm. So I travelled the UK. We grew, I grew up in the UK. So we travelled all over England, into Scotland, actually into Ireland at times as well to do shows. And I must have done thousands of puppet shows as a kid. And so it really just became uh, a natural part of my life. It, it, it was my, my parents' normal day job. So it seemed perfectly normal to me as a child. I guess the, the journey from being a, a child puppeteer to then being who you are, I know, especially uh, your involvement with Empire began because you, I believe, create a marionette for, for a certain member of the cast, correct? That's correct, yes. I mean, um, when I was a teenager, rebelling against the traditional live puppet plays and, and shows that my parents were doing, um, and I wanted to get into TV and films, and there really wasn't that uh, sort of many opportunities for, for that. There were a few kids' um, puppet shows on TV, but there wasn't a big sort of animatronic um, sort of amount of work it hadn't really been invented at that time Mm -hmm. so um i was working in a toy store in london called hamley's and while i was out at lunch um one day mark hamill came into the store and bought about a thousand dollars worth of pelham puppets a i was i was absolutely devastated because i did i loved star wars Mm -hmm. i was a huge fan and a i I didn't get to meet him at that point Mm -hmm. and b i didn't get the commission from the um the puppets that i was selling right so it was a devastating day but um uh, he, he did actually ask the person who was covering for me, did they know of anybody who could build a custom Darth Vader marionette? And the, the, the woman behind the counter said, yeah, yeah, Dave, who's normally here, he could do that. So um, I actually wrote a, a little note to Mark that, that, that was put in with all the, the appellant puppets that he had bought that was uh, sent off to Malibu in California. But I never heard back. Um, so I, I, sort of, I forgot all about that about six, seven months later. Through one of the people that I knew at Hamleys, Mark got in touch with me saying, would I meet up with him and to, to build this Darth Vader marionette? So 
met him uh, and his wife, a wonderful, wonderful couple. Mm-hmm. Mark's such a lovely, lovely man. Mm-hmm. And, and then, yes, he commissioned me to, to build the marionette, which I did. I went away and did that for a few, few weeks, a couple uh-huh. of months. And uh, when it was finished, I, I was invited along to Elstree Studios to present it to him. And it happened to be this, the day his son was born. <laughs> and so he was, he was in really, really great sort of um, spirits. And uh, he only, I think, had one shot he had to do on the green screen. And then he had some time off. And he said, well, would I like to meet Stuart Freeborn, the makeup artist? And mm-hmm. so I said, well, I'd love to meet him. So he took me up to see Stuart, and I had a little portfolio of a few pictures of some um, prosthetic makeup that I'd been doing, sort of a little bit of special effects and some mechanical masks that mm-hmm. I've been working on myself in, in a little sort of mini workshop at home. And Stuart said, oh, that, that's, that's very interesting. That's very good. He said, well, we, we might have a job for you. So and I thought, oh, that's very nice. And because I traveled around with my folks doing puppet shows, they heard that sort of thing said to, to young people again and again and again, and people were just being nice and polite. So I didn't really think anything of it. Mm-hmm. But um, a couple of weeks, uh, a week later, got a call, would I come into the studio Bruce Sharman offered me a job working for Stuart Freeborn on the Yoda team. It was pretty astonishing. Um, I guess because I had some background puppetry knowledge and Yoda was a puppet and I had done some mechanical masks and some eye movements. I had built a, my own smaller version of Chewbacca um, as a mask, as a mechanical mask where the lips would, would lift up. And oh, everything. wow. So Stuart took me on as a trainee and, um, and my first day was sculpting new top lips for Yoda because they wow. decided that the... The top lip wasn't long enough. It couldn't mm-hmm. quite close the mouth the way they wanted when Frank Oz's hand was inside the head. So rather than really sculpt everything from scratch, they would extend the top lip by about half an inch. So my first job was to sculpt six different top lips um, for Stuart to choose the one he liked the best. So, um, <laughs> wow. So, yes, yeah, so it was um, from, from Hamley's to sculpting Yoda's top lip. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, so, I mean, first, do you have a picture? I've never even seen the, that marionette. Do you have a picture of the, of the thing, that you, the Darth Vader marionette that you created? Yes, yes, there's a picture of it on my website, DaveBarclay.com. Oh, we'll, we'll pull that and we'll, we'll post yes, that. Because so, that, yeah. oh my gosh, I can't wait to look at that. And then, I guess, going to the to the elephant in the room, working with Stuart Freeborn as as your mentor, that is that is incredible. What was it like working with Mr. Freeborn? Who I mean, who's a legend, of course, and not only Star Wars special effects, but but everything. Oh, and and it just what a, a wonderful man. I mean. I mean, because I was 19 at that time, and so he took me on. Uh, he had also taken on um, Bob Keane, who mm-hmm. is, uh, went on to do lots of special effect makeup and then director, and Nick Dudman as well. Um, I think a few days after he took me on, and Nick Dudman ended up sort of um, doing the Harry Potter films, being the makeup supervisor for that. Mm-hmm. So Stuart was always looking for, for new talent to come in, and uh, I remember long into the evening Stuart and I would just stand chatting about things we're just constantly um, chatting I think Nick Maley came in and said oh you guys have got verbal diarrhea <laughs> 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 um, but yeah we were just chatting and, and he was Stuart was very supportive of, of coming up with different ideas I kind of think outside the box in a lot of things that I do and, and he liked that. Certainly when I was young, I would spew out all these different ideas. Probably 90% of them were just ludicrous. But Stuart would, would be patient enough to, to listen to, to find maybe one or two out of those that, that could be useful. Very supportive. Any of those ideas make it onto the screen or on, onto a makeup uh, effect? I can't remember now. I think it was all just trying to find ways of... Um, uh, we were just talking about every different possible little thing. And it was just like how to sort of simplify a, a one particular process to, to, to make it more consistent. One of the jobs I had to do was to expand all the Yoda 
face skins. Now, they were made out of foamix. It naturally shrinks about 7%. So if you put it back on the form that it should fit, it's always a little tight and stretched. So um, I think Stuart Freeborn and Dick Smith had come, out of, come up with a way using chemicals to expand the foam mm -hmm. to make it back to its original size. So, but it wasn't an exact science. And so we were, I think we were talking about how is there a way to improve that. And it's just like really enjoying the minutiae of uh, yeah. the process. Not only did you help sculpt and learn from Stuart Freeborn, that you then had an opportunity to learn from the man actually doing the primary controlling of Yoda for the main duration of the filming, Frank Oz. How did you then get put onto that team where there's four or five people that were actually puppeteering Yoda? How did you end up on the Yoda team? Yes, well, um, I think they'd originally considered using Gary Kurtz's daughters, I think it was, um, oh, wow. to, for the hands of Yoda, a child. You use little child's hands and you put your first and second finger together and your third and fourth finger together, a bit like the, the Mr. Spock Vulcan thing. Mm -hmm. And then you put a glove over that. That becomes a three-fingered hand. Um, and they were, um, that was the idea for the hands for Yoda. But um, they, they, they just physically couldn't get into the right space. They weren't used to having hands above their head all day long like puppeteers are. So in the end, it really didn't work. So Frank ended up doing his own left hand in the traditional Muppet style. He right. was controlling the head with the jaw and the eyebrows. He, his middle finger went through the mechanism to control the eyebrows. And then he had Kathy Mullen doing his right hand and then Wendy Midner-Froud right. doing um, cable controls. I think, they, I think Wendy, I was told, uh, Wendy had, had some bad allergic reaction to something on set and they needed someone to stand in. And I, so there was, there was originally, there was no plan of me being part of the puppeteering crew. I was mm -hmm. just a, a trainee makeup artist um, working for Stuart. But suddenly um, they needed someone to fill in on the, on that very second sort of thing, and Stuart right. said, "Well, David's a puppeteer. I'm sure he'll be okay." <laughs> um, uh, so I was I was suddenly taken out of the the workshop down to the set to pick up the eye controls and and work with Frank. I had seen him before and I said good morning to him, but mm -hmm. we'd never spoken because he was always too busy doing other important stuff. But from that point onwards, I thought, well, I'd maybe only just do the day, but that was that was just a joy and a delight. Mm -hmm. But um, Frank said he was very pleased with what I did, so he'd like me to stay on for the rest of the shoot doing the eyes. Wow. So, and I did, um, I did swap those out with Wendy as well. So Wendy mm -hmm. and I did the eyes, and I was to sort of help to address Yoda on set when there was options. There was plenty of times when Frank was had his arm up through a hole in the floor, so all the sets were raised sort of four and a half, five feet off right. of the ground. And so yeah. if you wanted to see Yoda standing on the floor, that was actually a wooden floor covered in dirt and, and the floor. Frank would put his hand all the way up and then I would drop Yoda down onto his arm and then Yoda would, would come yeah. alive and oh, be all the puppeteering takes, of course, that's very exhausting. So I'd run in there and, and grab the weight of, of Yoda for Frank at times. So it was, um, it was a, yes, it was just, it was really fantastic. But the, the thing was, is that when we first started, um, no one really had done anything like this before. Um, right. They hadn't, they had done, been special effect makeups. Uh, Rick Baker had done some wonderful gorillas and, and transforming characters, but they typically were more of the special effects approach where you build a different rig for each shot. Right. So, um, but Yoda had to perform all the way through. It was just basically the one Yoda and he had to do everything. And so when we were rehearsing, Frank would actually walk it out as an actor, block it all out exactly when the blinks were going to happen, when the eyes were going to turn, when the ears would droop down. And then we would all follow Frank around in the, in the trailer to get the same rhythm and get the same sense of what Yoda was going to do. So got to set, we knew... 
um, what we were going to do as, as a performance team. And so it kind of looked like Yoda turned up and he was just alive and it all worked. But mm-hmm. we did do a lot of rehearsal before we, we came on set each time. I mean, obviously, as, as we got further into production, everyone got used to working with each other. And so the necessi- necessity for um, um, rehearsal, but we did rehearse sort of always, always, always throughout. So it's... And uh, often rehearse on camera before we actually shoot. I mean, the character of Yoda and the actual puppeteering of Yoda was so paramount to the success of that movie. Just because if Yoda did not work, a third of that movie would have been ludicrous, right? It would have been Mark Hamill talking to some fake creature. But as soon as, you know, the team put life within Yoda, that, I mean, that made the movie. So what I would love to to talk about then is Frank Oz then had to go back. I believe he was shooting Sesame Street or something similar because production had run over. And then you were then tasked to be the primary Yoda for a small amount of the filming. Can you kind of explain how that had happened? That's right. Well, again, an- another sort of gift from the puppets gods, if you may. <laughs> you know, just But no, it was just wonderful that Frank um, was so generous. I mean... Um, we we found out that he had to go and um, uh, uh, go to another live, and everyone knew it was on the call sheet how many days he had left, and we were running behind schedule, so it was clear that we weren't going to finish everything before Frank had to leave. So I expected they would just wait until Frank was was clear and he'd come back and and we'd finish off. And they said, no, they had to strike the Dagobah set in the next, like, just over week. So they couldn't wait for Frank. So they they had to keep shooting. And I was wondering which one of the Muppet performers that that Frank had worked with take over. Um, But instead he said, I knew the character. I'd been there with him every day, all the blocking, all the rehearsal, all the logic, all the principle behind how Yoda would think. So he said no. I, I, he felt that I was the right person to do it. So, um, which was which was amazing. I was 19 years old, and Frank handed me, uh, as it were, the controls to one of the greatest puppets of all time. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, and it's and it's because of Frank Oz and Mark Hamill that I, I got this amazing start. I mean, um, sort of opened the doors by Mark, and then and then Frank launched my puppeteering career, and all in the space of a few months. In, and this was in 1979. What scenes were part of that last round of filming? I know the scene of Yoda falling, I believe, is one that you were the primary puppeteer for. Are there any other that stick out to you while you were the, the man controlling Yoda? Yes, well, often the, um, again, what and, and completely understandably, they would make, they, they tried to make sure that all the most important close-ups, everything that uh, was important for Yoda, Frank covered all of those. So mm-hmm. I ended up doing like the Vista Vision shots of Yoda when, when the X-Wing is coming out of the water, so I'm performing Yoda in that. So when Mark's being trained and, and Yoda's in the backpack, every time you see Mark and Yoda use the back of the head of Yoda, that's me. Uh-huh. Um, so so I, did a, I did a lot of those. So, um, But yeah, the actual um, concentrate where he falls off of um, uh, Mark's feet that was actually the inserts unit. I was mm-hmm. working on Dark Crystal by then, mm-hmm. uh, early maybe February 1980, I think. And they, uh, I, I got a message that um, I know Frank came up to me and said, "Oh, um, they're, they're doing Yoda for an inserts day, like next Tuesday or something." And I said, "All right, okay. Do you want me to do the eyes for you?" And he said, "No, no." no. I said, "Really?" He said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no you, I saw what you did last time. It was great." So he said, "No, no. You do that. <laughs> so I'm, I'm busy on Dark Crystal and I, I can't make it anyway." So. 
So okay, so so I, I, I turn up on set, and I, I am there is no one other than me, so I have to put him all together and get all this continuity right and put all that together, wow. and it ended up being the very last shot of the day. They left it to the last shot of the day, uh-huh. and um, I had no idea what I was doing because they they hadn't prepared me. So the puppet, well, what are we doing? Oh well, you're, you're balancing on the feet, then you're falling off. I thought, wow, that's quite some interesting the puppeteering dynamics um trying to get the sense of the weight and the shifting and the falling over thing right okay it would have been <laughs> i would have loved to have had some time to rehearse it but anyway so we, we literally just started rolling and i think the first one was terrible and i think everyone's looking at me thinking oh god what, what's happened here but then i think either the second or third um i did the one that's in the movie and everyone said oh great rap and that was it and we were, <laughs> we were out of the studio so wow again it was a bit of trial by fire uh, or trial by stone as they would say in dark crystal days it was a, a, an amazing experience wow well I, you mentioned dark crystal so in between empire and return of the jedi there was Dark Crystal, right? Which, you know, you, you mentioned Empire had Yoda, which was probably the most complex puppet that had been put to film at that point. Then you have Dark Crystal, which has hundreds of those, really, um, on screen. And so what was your role in Dark Crystal? I know this is a Star Wars podcast, but I love talking about Dark Crystal, and I'd love to kind of hear at least a little <laughs> bit uh, what what you were involved in there. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, yeah, yeah, no, it was fantastic. I mean, um, so because um, I'd worked with Frank, of course, and, and Kathy and, um, and Wendy, they gave me contacts to get in touch with Sherry Amott. And Sherry Amott was the um, workshop supervisor for Dark Crystal. And I think I was probably the first interview that uh, she had as soon as she had set up the shop in uh, Hampstead, for, which was the where the Jim Henson Creature Shop was uh, was, was set up and so I went along and she said yeah no it'd be great so uh, I, I had had a great meeting and I think it was British puppet maker on Dark Crystal um, so I came on as a puppet maker that was my, my prime uh, job and so I did some uh, combination of things I worked with Tom McLaughlin de- developing the new foam latex that Henson's used I sculpted things like the Mystic Feet uh, when I was part of um, Mystic Team and I, I developed a a harness system that actually Jim Henson wore for the Mystics, which was a very uncomfortable mm-hmm. thing to perform because you're in the squatting in a squatting position with your arms straight out. It's like, yeah. And I even performed a, a film test of that as well um, as, a, as a puppeteer. And so the supervisor, creature supervisor, the Skeksis, the Urskex and Augra, he and I sort of hit it off uh, well, uh, sort of the same sort of mindset. And um, so we, we, we worked on that and I was a sculptor. Uh, helping out um, with the Skeksis, Lyle sculpt one side of the Skeksis face, and my job was to sculpt the other side in his style. <laughs> so, because the idea was that any, any, at any point, he would come in and finish it. So it had to be in his style. It couldn't be in my style. And in a way, it was great because he was he was teaching me his style of sculpting, and it was a great learning experience as well as uh, something that was practically useful. But pretty much all of the uh, there was so much work that because um, he had to. So we had to sculpt all the Skeksis, so there was just so much um, sort of time involved in doing all that. I ended up pretty much sculpting all one side of, of the of the Skeksis, and Lyle um, just did a few little touches up at the very wow. end. So yeah, so yeah, I, I got, yeah, no, it was. So that was again an amazing experience, and I designed rather dexterous hands for the um, the Urskex, and then became part of the cable crew for Frank's characters on Augra wow. and the Chamber. Then. So I was puppeteering as well when that was happening. So wow. and got to do some podlings 
um, got to do one of the podling marionette characters, which actually Jim really liked. He really liked what I did with that. And that actually led me later on to work on Labyrinth and do a, a Didymus marionette. He, he liked my marionette work. So, And that, that was interesting because that came full circle back to my Pelham puppets that I got when I was four. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, we are definitely going to talk about Labyrinth. We're definitely going to talk about Little Shop. We're definitely going to talk about Roger Rabbit. But first, first I, I want to go back to Star Wars and talk about Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Um, and talk about probably uh, my favorite creature effect in Star Wars period. Something that's always been a huge amount of fascination for me. Jabba the Hutt. We've, we talked to Toby, who was the left arm. And now, on this podcast, we have the, the right arm. So I, I, uh, I would love to kind of talk first about what that process was like and, and kind of how you approached this, you know, enormous puppeteering project. Well, yes. I mean, Toby and I met on Dark Crystal. So, and as I said before, I think um, I I knew his father. So um, he, like me, was a second generation puppeteer and uh, uh, maintained really good friendship, even though we've sort of, there'd be years that would uh, go by which we haven't seen each other, but it's always great to catch up with Toby and we're always on the same page. So it, it was it was really good. We It was mix a great combination of two puppeteers and um i mean a lot of the decisions have been made by stuart freeborn um bob keen john coppinger and the construction of yoda so um so toby and i came in to get fittings um create create the extensions for our fingers that would sit inside the rubber gloves so we came in for that and then some some fittings and got inside java yes so i was doing the the jaw with my left hand my right hand went into an arm, went into Jabba's arm, and Toby, his left hand was in uh, Jabba's left hand, and with his right hand he controlled the head. Mm-hmm. Um, and then between us, we would use our body weight to move him around because he was he was very heavy, but he was self-supporting on heavy springs. Right. So if we if I if we both moved forward, Jabba would move forward. If we both moved back. Jabba would move back, but he was also on a rotating turntable. So if I moved forward squarely and Toby moved back squarely, he would actually turn left and right. So depending on what our bodies were doing, um, we could control his body separate to the head and the arms. We had a little bit of rehearsal, again, because with these things, they just take so long to build. And again, there was nothing anywhere remotely as complicated as Jabba before he was built. So it was was a very hard build to get him built ready in time for getting onto screen, onto camera. But they did, and the guys did a fantastic job. And so um, we had initial rehearsal without the head on, so we could actually see what our hands were doing. And I think that was really good, because it, it gave us a practical illustration of what we could achieve. One of the things we couldn't achieve is we couldn't actually touch each other's hands. Mm-hmm. Our arms were too far apart. So when we have to grab the, uh, the chain um, from Leia or from Ula, just pulling in the chain, you would think, would be a very simple uh, thing to do. But, of course, it's two different people who will eventually will be completely blind to what they're doing, wearing big, thick rubber gloves with extensions on, with a chain actually around the actress's neck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... It was it was a bit worry worrisome. So, but at least we got the we found a method of being able to pulling in of the chain, which took some rehearsal. So through that process, we we got a sense of what the character would be. We could we could see how he would move. <clears throat> Obviously, we'd have to move in in a slowish manner because of his weight. Um, to a degree, let the let the puppet tell us how to, how to perform him, and just try and get the most out of what was built. And um, so, and we'd kind of learned that process and that principle through working on Dark Crystal because that's exactly what 
but everyone did for that. So there was like a methodology and a process of communication between the performers to bring these characters to life that, um, that basically Jim Henson had uh, established on, on The Dark Crystal before. Uh, and you were also the the voice of Jabba <laughs> on set. I was, yes, absolutely. I was, I was the uh, rather high-pitched British version of Jabba. <laughs> <laughs> but um so yes and um i remember i think he, uh i can't remember i think it was richard markman but somebody i would say chewbacca rather than chewbacca and they they thought that was hysterical that <laughs> i pronounced it in a different way for um for uh java so again i just try to slow the voice down and mm. um and um but I think we only ever said one line in Hartees, yeah. which was Bo Shooter, as he mm-hmm. comes, as everything, uh, as all the characters come in. Um, after that point, uh, I don't think any of the other actors would understand the Hartees, so mm-hmm. it was all done in English. And I actually lip synced to the English lines. Uh-huh. Um, and so then it was Ben Burt's ch- task of trying to work out the, the mouth flaps and the m- mouth movements and try and put in different language that would fit in with the mouth movements. But um, originally it was all all puppeteered in English to, to my British voice. <laughs> wow, I love it. I love it. if you go watch the documentaries, the old ones like Classic Creatures and From Star Wars to Jedi, you, you're, you're in it a yeah, bunch yeah. as, you know, you can hear it. I think it's so funny. But that, uh, working as job, were there any specific moments or specific scenes? You mentioned the chain. Uh, any other challenges that might have kind of impacted your day-to-day? Initially, um, just being able to see him was was a, a was a, a challenge because we'd, we'd come off of Dark Crystal, and because it was a puppet film, they, they had really good video monitors on the film cameras, mm-hmm. so you could see, you had a really good idea of what you were looking at. But with um, the different camera lenses and the depth of field that they were using on on, on Jabba's palace, the, the video cameras were very dark and grainy, and at times it was really hard to see what we were looking at. And because we were we were in, we were sealed inside. What Jabba was doing was looking at the monitors that was the feed from the the movie camera. That, that for the first day was like really tricky. So in the end, we ended up getting just like a little remote wild camera up in the lighting rig, pointing down to us, so we could at least see what we were doing. But we didn't always get to see what the camera was filming. Which, um, in in purest puppet terms, it's always nice to see what the camera is filming. But I, I think it, it, it was the best and most efficient way of moving forward with, the, with, with Java because, I mean, we, we were not the star of, 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 the, uh, of, of the sequence, if you get, get my, my drift. Mm-hmm. We had to make sure we could sort of deliver a good performance because all the other actors, if they had a great take, that's the one that they were going to use. So we had to try and be really consistent and really uh, reliable with all our performances and everything that we did. So... Um, and so that was, and that often is the case when you mix puppets with with actors. That you will find that the that they will choose the take for the be, for, for the the best take for the actor, of course. So, um, so you try and be as consistent as good as possible. So yes, once we sort of got that, then um, Richard Markham would just speak to us as Jabba, mm-hmm. and then we would we would Toby and I could see each other, and so we we could we could communicate inside in Jabba, and we'd often give him thumbs up and everything when we understood something. So you'd say. Things like, um, Jabba, would you look over here? And, of course, we can't see him. Jabba can't see out. And so I said, yes, but I'm not sure he is. (laughs) So, um, yeah, it was great that he got so used to speaking to Jabba that he could just think, Jabba, look over here, rather than say, or could you look to your right? (laughs) With Return of the Jedi wrapping up, uh, you then moved on to what I think is still one of the, the most incredible runs of of these visual effects laden movies. Um, you mentioned Labyrinth and 
Uh, let's talk about Labyrinth first, because again, that's returning to the kind of Jim Henson world. Uh, what was that like, and, and which characters did you kind of work on Labyrinth? I was actually still almost um, working on Dark Crystal while I was doing Return of the Jedi, because I had a contract to shop, uh, with with Jim to do all the uh, develop, development for Labyrinth, as well as all the marketing and um, all the uh, exhibition displays for Dark Crystal. So Lark Conway and I kept on after Dark Crystal mm. and I, I took a break from doing Dark Crystal to go and do um, to do Jedi as long as I got all the work done that I had to do in advance so I had to work like seven day weeks for about a month before I did Jabba so I, I had cleared all my workload at uh, uh, Henson's wow. so when I came back there was still plenty to do one of the things uh, that I, I got to do was to develop a sophisticated radio control marionette version of Didymus. Mm -hmm. um, Jim, Jim liked the, the marionette work that I did on, on Dark Crystal, and, um, and so did Brian Froud. And so I was given the chance to come up with a, a marionette um, for Didymus. And um, the, 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 one of the problems with marionettes is that they move very free to hand puppets. So it was trying to find a way to get them to match more closely. So that was my task. So, so yes, Didymus was one of the main, the main characters that I worked on for, for all of that. I um, also built a, a marionette version of the wild thing, the, uh, so the fireys. The, we, we called them wild things when we were working on them, but they became the fireys afterwards. So I, uh, number one, um, fiery, I, I did a full marionette version of that. Again, Jim wanted that to jump down into shot when there was an opportunity to do the, the black, 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 black screen with the puppeteers all in. So I got to build that. I also sculpted a, a goblin, worked, worked with Dave Goals um, as a cable crew on, on the hand puppet Didymus. Mm -hmm. So I, I was sort of chief puppeteer on, on the, the marionette. Got to work on Shaft of Hands um, and also worked on with Frank again on The Wise Man as a puppeteer. These are all, all different puppeteer jobs. And then Jim said to me, oh, I've just heard, um, this was, yeah, I've just heard David Bowie's new musical piece for the Goblin um, Palace. It's like dance, magic dance, jump, magic jump. I said, so now I need, um, I need, I need some marionettes for, for this sequence. And I said, oh, well, okay. Jim had introduced me to uh, one of the world's most renowned marionette guy called Albrecht Rosa. And Albrecht said um, he thought it took about a year to successfully make a marionette, get everything right. You'd have to really get the balance. It's like movement, and that's just what he would say. So I think, okay. So And Jim gave me some good time to work on, on, um, on Didymus uh, in between going and being a puppeteer for Sprocket in the European versions of Fraggle Rock. So I was doing that at the same time. But I did get to build this this build my dream marionette. Um, yes, yeah, so, so with, with, with Albrecht Rosa saying maybe a year or so to, um, to, to, to build a really good marionette. So I said to Jim, all right, well, how many marionettes do you want? Well, about 15. 15, right, okay. How long have you got? Monday, and it was Friday. Whoa, okay, okay, um, right. I said, well, I, I can put strings on hand puppets. We can't build marionettes in that time. So that's what I did. So I had a very, very long weekend um, sort of building basic, um, very quick uh, on the bandsaw joints for uh, sort of marionette style joints to put inside the hand puppets and try and string them up ready to, to do that song. So, wow. and, um, so after, after spending so much time on one marionette, then it, the, these were just <laughs> literally assembled almost overnight, but it was uh, yeah, from one extreme to the other. <laughs>
This is this is me just asking. So the uh, shots of Didymus on Ambrosius, right on the dog. How which which type of pup yeah. was that? Was that the hand pup or was that the marionette um, on top of the dog? There are three versions. Okay. Yeah, no, there's three versions. There was there was one that was actually on the real dog, real live dog, which was um, what these days people call a stuffy. It was um, a, um, it was a bit more than that because it was carefully sprung. Um, but it was just a, a static uh, model that would sit on on the horse. It wouldn't be. It wasn't. Didn't have any motors. Didn't have any controls. So it just would naturally bounce and move as the dog would run along. The other version would be the marionette that I built, um, and so that would be on there. So I would be at, I would be 25 feet up on, wow. on a marionette bridge, m- matching the the dog moving along. So and and uh, when when he jumps up on the dog, that's that's the marionette. And then when we go to close-ups, there's, there's actually a, um, a hand puppet version of the dog, so it becomes oh, two wow. hand puppets. Wow. So, so there's three versions to, to, to try and sell the illusion. Of course, this is all before digital. Well, uh, my listeners are like, is this now a, a Dark Crystal Labyrinth podcast? And they're, gonna, they're just going to have to get over it, because this is the best. Um, <laughs> what I, uh, one of the last things I want to talk about, also not Star Wars, but... Uh, the Roger Rabbit visual effects puppeteering is probably one of the most unsung, incredible pieces of, of work. And a lot of Return of the Jedi alum worked on that, right? You, you, Toby worked on that. Mike Quinn worked on that. There were, there were a lot of people. Are there any yes. scenes in there that, that stood out to you? And maybe explain it actually for a second to the listeners of, of what that team actually had to had to do. Yes, well, interestingly enough, I'd got a Robert Watts, who's producer of the Star Wars films, um, called me up and said, David, um, I may have a job for you for a, a couple of days. Go and see a special effects supervisor and um, talk about Roger Rabbit. So I went along to George Gibbs, and um, and George um, was saying, yeah, they've got a huge amount of, of work to, to do all these interactions. Robert Zemeckis wanted all the props and all the interaction to be for real. Didn't want to do it green screen and, and composite it in later. He wanted it all to be there in camera. And so it's kind of like creating an Invisible Man film. Um, so everything works, and then they'll draw the cartoons in afterwards. So um, they were having a problem with the octopus bartender in the Ink and Paint Club. They didn't know how to do it because they wanted all the tentacles to be all flexible and moving. So they couldn't build like a mechanical rig to hold up the, the props that the... Um, the real props that the, the octopus was holding. So he said to me, um, well, look, take this storyboard and go away and think about it and, t- and tell me how you think you could do it using puppet effects. And I said, well, I can tell you right now, you do that for that, that for that, <laughs> that for that, that for that, that for that, that for that, that. And he looked at me, oh, okay, well, um, okay, here's a script. Go through the script and see how many of the items um, or the effects and, and the things you think you can you can do with puppets. So I did. I went away, worked all that through, and came back to him. And basically, we were on the film. So that this, the core six of us were on the film for the entire production, wow. where in fact it was going to be me for maybe one or two days. And the, the, the biggest amount we had seven, seventeen puppeteers. So every time Roger Rabbit sits in the chair and the chair does a slight movement, we've got to control that. Like invisibly, so we'll have invisible strings or rods, or we'll drill a hole up through the floor. When Roger jumps out of the bed, we're actually controlling a fake shape of Roger that looks like he's creating Roger's shape in the bed, and which has to disappear in an eye blink when the covers come off. 
Um, we, also, we have to have a dent in the pillow for Roger's head. This is the mm-hmm. extent of the detail that Robert Zemeckis wanted. So they really felt it was really real because he said, if, if it's not that level of detail, you won't believe it. You, you, it, would just, it would just seem like um, someone's painted them in afterwards, and he didn't really want that. So, um, so we went to great lengths to integrate every prop. Any time you pick up a glass, then the glass has got to move. All the weasel's guns, they are all real, actually in the set at all times. They're not put in afterwards. So then the animators have to draw around the rigs that we've built to control the guns. So um, an amazing marionettist, Christopher Leith, doing a uh, performing uh, machine gun running around on boards at the top of the set, um, which was just amazing. So, um, yeah, we had, had a, it was an amazing... So I think pretty much every, every single shot in the film, um, they did some location stuff in the U.S. that we weren't involved with. This was all filmed in the studios in England. But all the uh, studio stuff in England, which is about 95% of the film, maybe more, we were involved in every single shot. With that, I feel like I've, I've rushed through an incredible filmography. Is there anything that you're working on right now or anything that you're particularly proud of throughout your entire career? that maybe we can talk about? Yes, well, things that I'm proud about, um, definitely Roger Rabbit for that still, because it's applied puppetry and there's a lot of problem solving and quick thinking, because often uh, Bob Smeggs would say, oh, I've just got this idea and we were about to shoot it. And he said, oh, I'd like to do this, this and this. How long will that take? And I sort of blankly stare in space, design it in my head very quickly and said, oh, it'll take 20 minutes. He said, great, okay, you've got 20 minutes. So we'd go off and build it and do it. And it was, we'd, we'd always sort of delivered what he wanted. So I felt really proud of the work that we did on the film as well as the film itself because I thought the film was phenomenal so I was very proud of that I was also proud of the two cats and dogs films as far as the puppetry concerns goes because we, we built some really sophisticated animatronic puppets for cats and dogs one and cats and dogs two and, and I just loved the, the, the performing with my puppeteer friends the character of Mr. Tinkles that was just so much fun so, yes, I'm proud of our, our work on that. Obviously, the biggest pride has got to go to, to Yoda and to Jabba. I mean, it's just like it, doesn't, it really doesn't get any bigger than that. I mean, because the chance to have been given by Frank the opportunity to be the only other puppeteer in the world to have puppeteered Yoda, um, it's just, just astonishing. And then it's, it's, it, it, it launched my career, of course. So um, I, I can never thank him enough for that. What I'm doing at the moment is I'm just about wrapping up a, a personal project. It's an animated feature film based on one of my parents' puppet plays. Um, and I've gone, I've gone through animation just because um, to build it practically would cost a fortune, and I'm funding this myself. So, um, so I, and I actually have I've built all the characters. I've done all, all the and we're using motion capture to 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 bring everything to life. And it's um, it's just it's an old-fashioned fairy tale um, approach to um, using CG characters um, to tell one of my parents' puppet plays. So I'm just about fini- wrapping that up at the moment. So that's taken quite a few years of my life off and on. So it's, uh, it's it's great to be getting it finished. That sounds so great. Whenever that gets released or or whenever you're finished, definitely send that link along because uh that 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 sounds really great wow thank you thank you yes i will well mr barclay thank you so much i've been just grinning like an idiot for the past you know 40 minutes or so uh so thank you so much for taking the time uh it really means a lot oh no my pleasure my pleasure it's 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 been such a wonderful journey for me um to be a puppeteer 
<clears throat> grew up as a puppeteer and to, to be part of animatronics in the, the period that I was. I mean, I started with Yoda, which was really the first uh, animatronic puppet character for, for movies. And I've had sort of 40 years doing what I love, and I, I love doing this work. And so um, it's such a, a privilege to do what I do. And I, I can't, I can't believe how lucky I've been. So it's, it's been, it's been a delight, and I um, want to keep it going for as long as I can. <laughs> we hope so too. Again, thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much again to Mr. Barkley for his time and incredible stories from the sets of Dagobah and Jabba's Palace. I want to also thank Derek Mackey and Cool Waters Productions for helping set this interview up. Make sure to catch Dave at a few upcoming conventions by checking coolwatersprod.com or his website, davebarkley.com. Next week is our incredible interview with original trilogy Matt Painter and visual effects legend Harrison Ellenshaw. So stay tuned, leave a five-star review, and may the force be with you.